it's those college ID camps that, because like I said, I would say 90% of the aspirations of girls playing club soccer is to get a college scholarship. Okay. And so they will go to ID camps, college ID camps put out by several college coaches, not just one, like not at SMU. It would be an SMU, an OU, an OSU, um, Tulsa, whatever, right? They would they would have several coaches. And it's a way for those college coaches to put on a quote-unquote camp and check out future players that they can recruit and add to their class recruiting. Welcome to the club, the podcast that's dedicated to club and travel sports. I'm your host, Matt Gildon, and thanks for tuning in. For those of you who may be new to the podcast, this particular podcast is dedicated to the world of club and travel sports and all the aspects and intensity that goes along with that. We've already covered a lot of sports on our past episodes, so please feel free to go back and tune into those. Today, though, we have a really exciting guest, uh, Kat Webb, who's been coaching in the DFW area for decades, uh, especially in the girls space is joining us today and I think you're really going to like what she has to say about just the overall landscape, the competitive levels of, uh, of the clubs here in the DFW area, uh, as well as she'll get to talk about the path for players and then we've spent quite a bit of time talking about college and recruiting and camps and where that kind of leads and, and that whole landscape. So for those of you who may have um, kiddos who are making that move into uh, the higher levels and thinking about college and what the recruiting's like and camps and all that, please tune in and, and listen to what Kat has to say. And she covers a lot more as well. So thanks again for tuning in. I'm your host, Matt Gildon, and welcome to the club. Kat, thanks a ton for making the time uh, today to be on the show. I cannot tell you how happy I am that um, I got your you're uh, okay to do this. Uh, I've been wanting to ask you for a while. So uh, thanks a, uh, thanks a ton and welcome to the club. How's it going today? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. So, hey, so I don't have a lot. I have, I have a little bit of, of club soccer, you know, inside. I, I live close to the big FC Dallas facility up there in Frisco and I live across from uh, Russell Creek Park. And so we have always seen all the, the different club soccer teams and their tournaments going on right there. But as someone who's from the outside looking in, can you just start start us off? Can you just lay out like the general landscape of club soccer and the levels here in the DFW area? And then how does that span nationally? Because we're talking about people travel to play soccer all over. So start. Can you do you mind starting with that? Sure. Um, okay, so the there's five, at least on the girls' side. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much can only talk for the I know a little yeah, bit perfect of the dabble of the guys, but the girls' side, there's um there's ECNL is the pinnacle of um the highest level that you can attain um for girls um club soccer players from U13 to U19. Um there are and ECNL, just plain ECNL. Then there's ECNL RL, and then there's offshoots of that. But the bottom line is the top um, level is ECNL, and there's five girl clubs that have that level. Um, there is so there's the top tier clubs, so to speak. Uh, yes. Do you want me okay. to name the five? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, FC Dallas, Solar, Sting, Texans, and Defeaters. Okay. And how long have these clubs been around? Well, Sting and the Feeders used to be, uh, what's really is sad, uh, they used to be the last remaining girl programs in North Texas. And of course, the big money grab, they went with boys and mm -hmm. totally just blew that up. I mean, blew up. Those teams have been around since the 70s. And we, they, like, I, I grew up playing for Sting and it's so sad that it is no longer a girls club. Now they can't hold that esteem of, of being the oldest girls 
only club in in the United States. And that's sad. Okay. Is there is there a so there's not a girls only club in DFW or nationwide? <laughs> there I don't know about nationwide. I'm sure there is nationwide. I'm sure somewhere, but not in North Texas. Okay. If, if there is, I I am not aware of it. It might be an independent team if there is. Okay. And then just real quick, sorry, these questions are just going through my head. So I'm a volleyball dad, right? So all the different, there's different sanctioned or different governing bodies. So is there a Texas, a North Texas, South Texas? How is it broken up? Sure what Texas you said is brought, is, is divided by two, North Texas and South Texas. Okay. Um, and North Texas is typically stronger, but um, in in the scheme of youth, play it's mm -hmm. funny that north texas is stronger yet south texas has the protein tell me how that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> sorry saying you talk about which protein um the the dash the houston dash in, in okay. south texas and houston okay. um, and in south texas i mean don't get me wrong they're not horrible but north texas has dominated south texas for 50 years yeah uh, that's just, sorry. That's just how it is. Yeah. We're going to come back to that because I have a question that I want to ask later about people who come out of North, the, the DFW area. So anyway, all right. So you have ECNL at the top and there's a few clubs that are that five clubs that have that. So then what do you have after that? Then there's offshoots of that. Um, there's different levels of, um, I mean, ECNL and their programs are going to be the top tier. And then there's um, uh, other leagues out there. Um, North Texas select league or something like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have a team mm -hmm. that plays in that. So I'm sorry of my ignorance on that, but, um, and then there's FDL, which is I, I'm, honestly, I didn't even know there's so many leagues out there, Matt, it's so watered down that it's, it's super sad, honestly. Um, you know, the kids, the, the clubs get those top teams going yeah. and then, and then, it there's a level for every child basically in this in this town. There really okay. truly is. From ECNL to to rec soccer, there okay. is a level for every kid. Which, in the scheme of things, Matt, it's a game, right? And the kids sure. get to play, and it just depends on how what level you want your child to play at. Okay. Okay. So. Um... And does clubs start at a particular age? I know, you know, as I've said a lot of a lot of times on the show, you know, I'm a volleyball and hockey person, right? So with hockey, and I, and to some extent, some clubs in volleyball, but in hockey, like you're, you start at U10. Like, when does club soccer start? Well, club soccer in general can start at U7. Okay. Um, there is academy soccer and paid coaches paid. You have to pay to be in a club okay. to get a professional coach mm -hmm. that starts at U6 and U7. Wow. Um, okay. Now, select soccer starts at under 11, U11. And ECNL is not till U13. Okay. So hold on for a second. So there's club soccer and then select soccer. So those, it sounds like those are two separate things yes there's academy and then select and okay. higher level the boys mls program um and offshoots of that as well they i believe okay. boys have ecnl as well but um the mls is like the ecnl for the girls the okay. mls is a step above ecnl if uh on the boy side but okay but yeah so there's there's because there's clubs there's watered down hundreds of clubs now in north texas and you got the big five and then you have everybody else. Yeah. Um, and then, but, but Academy starts at for every single club out there. It starts U6, U7, depending on what club wants to offer. Okay. And then select soccer where you pay triple the, what you paid from U10 and below um, starts at under 11. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I had heard, uh, and sorry to keep talking about volleyball, but I'd heard at one point that there was approximately 150 volleyball clubs in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So 
I don't know how for from for for soccer. Can you guesstimate how many clubs we're talking about? But it sounds like a lot. FC Dallas has 190 teams in the youth program from U10 to U6 to U10. <laughs> so, 190, 190. Yes, they have. They have. We have the biggest um, team numbers. Numbers yep. by far. The big red machine. They call us. <laughs> okay. But yes, um, but yes, it is there. I I couldn't even guesstimate, Matt, how many clubs there are now in North okay. Texas. All these independent pop ups are just coming, you know, out of the woodwork. It's it's gotten crazy in okay. the last twenty years for sure. Is it super simple to start a club? Do you have to have X number of teams and be approved? Oh, you don't. And... You can have one team in your club. <laughs> It's, really? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Name, I'm going to start my own club and you can have, I have one team. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. So uh, level for everybody, which I think is great, right? Cause one thing we're going to talk about here in a little bit is we're going to talk about like development and, you know, what, from a coach's perspective, what are attributes that you look for in a player and you can see a, uh, a player on your you know, on your team and you look at her and you're like, yeah, this kid, she gets it, you know, mm-hmm. here's, she's, she's going to turn out and, you know, play, play at uh, North Carolina one day, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that because development is such a huge part of what I love about club sports. Right. Um, okay. So uh, all these different teams, a lot of different levels, sound like a lot of access to play, um, you know, at the, at the club level now within each club, do they have, let's say, so if you've got 190 teams at, at FC Dallas, I would assume you've got multiple U13 teams. Do they yeah. play in the same division? They Do they compete in the same tournaments and then play against each other? Or do they, are there different levels? Like, is there, you know, AAA, AA, A, or that kind of thing? How does, how does that work? Um, Typically there are, yes, there are several, especially on the boys' side at FC Dallas, just using them as an example, there's probably huh, 13 teams per age group easily. And that's just Frisco. That's not okay. even including we have satellites, you know, in the south, in the north, and you know, uh, south, um, um, east, west, everywhere. We have several uh, teams in every age group. Um, okay. And they definitely don't play against each other the whole time, but – they have there's different leagues like i said there's so many leagues it's it's crazy okay that that um that they it isn't just all fc dallas teams i mean solar's got a quite a few teams um i'm sure kicks has the feeders kicks they probably have a ton of boys teams um it just it 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 is so watered down i can't even tell you how you know is that a problem well the cream always rises to the top, right? So sure. the, the best kids will end up on those top MLS slash ECNL teams in those top fives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the boy side also, I'm not sure. I I think it's basically, I don't, I'm sure Texans will try to say that they're part of that group, but um, I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. FC Dallas and Solar are the top two. Okay. Uh, my in my humble opinion. Okay. Um so uh, one aspect of you know, thinking back to to my days with my sons in, in hockey, we had a lot of clubs in in DFW. And we're talking about a different magnitude, right, with hockey, right? So you know, we had four, three or four clubs, and they all considered themselves to be in the in the top uh, leagues and and play in you know at the the highest level, tier one level, but really the players that the amount of top tier caliber players in this market wasn't enough. So it was like the top 10 players, there were two on each of the five clubs. So they'd go off and play in Detroit or in Boston or, uh, you know, somewhere in Canada and they would just get shellacked because it was watered down. That's the term we use as well. So just, I assume some of these top clubs, they'll go play, in California and Florida and, and elsewhere. So does this watered down thing, does that impact their ability to compete or is there just enough talent in DFW and North Texas that they compete fine? A combination of the two, because 
it depends on the year, right? Some years you get the actual cream of the crop to actually play together and form a, a just an, a ridiculous team, right? Mm -hmm. And then you do have just solid athletes. I mean, you you those top two, three tiered clubs will have good, solid teams. And then eventually, in the girls' side anyway, and then um, as they get older, U13, U14, U15, they they will work their way up to a top, top team, or they'll just, like you said, just keep just competing. And very competitive market, obviously, in North Texas soccer is. It's, it's insanely competitive. So com competitive between the teams in terms of the games are good and close or competitive in terms of recruiting the top players to come play at your club or both? Both, both 100%. Okay. Okay. Um, from a, so before I get too far into this, cause we're starting to get into stuff that I think is really beneficial for our, for our listeners. I should have asked this the top cat, but can you talk about your path and your experiences to get you where you are? Like, when did, did you start playing as a little bitty kid and you know, where did you play and kind of what's been your path uh, um, in your soccer okay. career? I have been uh, blessed. I have, I'm one of uh, five kids and I have three older brothers that literally made me the person I am uh, coaching playing wise, yeah. aggressive wise, competitive wise. If I didn't have those three hairy legged boys, I wouldn't have, <laughs> been the player and coach that I am for sure. Um, I, I played um, rec soccer because I really didn't have, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those pioneer women that uh, there, um, there wasn't a national team until um, really until my um, team represented the, uh, uh, the U S uh, for sting. And we were the national team. Um, there's a documentary coming out eventually of, my team um, in 1984 went to China and beat paid professionals. We're 16-year-old little girls from Dallas and Richardson in the area and um, beat, you know, China and Italy and to, you know, win the championship. And Wow. And we represented in 83, too, as well, the U.S., and played all over. Um, I was blessed to go see the world basically playing um, on the national team with Bia Sting and uh, played um, with them. And then um, I was on the national team from 83 through 86 and then went to SMU, um, got the first scholarship ever at SMU, scored the first goal ever for SMU. Seriously? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for my call to be in the Hall of Fame um, of SMU. I'm still waiting on that call there, SMU. That sounds that sounds like you should be there. Yeah. Um. I think so. I've, I still hold an NCAA record for assists for the girl that is in the Hall of Fame at SMU. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, hello. But anyway. Um. But then I played semi-pro after that. Um, okay. Um, Where'd you play? Where did I play? Yeah. Yeah, North Texas Heat here in okay. um, North Texas. Okay. And um, and then uh, just ended up retiring. And but I've been coaching since I was at SMU my my sophomore year in 1988 and um, my sophomore junior. And I'm I'm on year 38 right now. I've got a couple more year and then I'm gonna call it a day so I could uh, go explore this world. But um, it's been a world run to say the least i've loved coaching every minute i love yeah. seeing that light bulb come on i've loved um teaching these young ladies that soccer is is a game and i'm trying to not only teach them soccer but i try to instill the in these girls life lessons outside of soccer as well so yeah um, so that's my story basically all right okay so for our listeners out there, that this is a great cat's a great source here. We're gonna we're, we're gonna get some really good information here. Okay, so let's go back to um, kind of this this water down and 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 the club scene here locally. So, would you say that um, or how does how does the North Texas how the North Texas teams? Uh, where's their their biggest competition outside of Texas? Like, where are the other soccer hotbeds in in the country? California for sure. Okay, 
NorCal, SoCal, all of it. Yeah. And it just depends on the year. Like Virginia could be um, pretty good. New York can have a good group. Um, but California has always been a top level. I mean, my goodness, if it's 70 degrees, 365 days a year, wouldn't you think yeah. that, that you could train in that atmosphere? For you know, sure. And keep keep strong because other places don't have obviously that luxury of having the weather. Not that I blame everything on the weather with California, but they are just they do have quality. And it and what's so weird is they don't have probably half the soccer numbers that North Texas has. Just North Texas. SoCal is probably, I mean, even though California is bigger than Texas, it has less numbers, teams, clubs, because California is so big, it's so spread out that you literally have to drive an hour to two hours to play for a team in California. Really? Yes. It's crazy. So there's not a soccer club on every street corner in California. That's what you're saying. No, sir. Okay. Okay. Isn't that crazy? And they're still top. It's crazy. They're a top uh, program over there. SoCal Blues, for example, they are just a top program in in California. Um, Surf. Surf is also a very top uh, club in California. But okay. I can't even name any, any others, but... But I also, again, I coach the little, so I'm not necessarily in that genre anymore. Yep. Okay. So is it a fair statement to say that if Texas could consolidate its talent pool under fewer clubs, that it'd be a tremendous advantage for, for North Texas? We would wipe the country. Yeah. If we did that, wipe it. I mean, just kill it. It would, it would be... It would be, it would not be fair. Okay. Now, uh, let me ask a, I don't know if you have any insight of this, but is it, is this club soccer profitable to where the, the, it sounds like it's pretty easy to stand up a club maybe, but if that people are, you know, having soccer clubs and people are paying their fees and maybe folks are making a buck here too, that they're to be unwilling to relinquish and say, yeah, I'll consolidate my club into, into your club. And then we could, you know, really dominate. Do you think that'll ever happen? Is that, is that what's stopping that from happening? Or is it just so much demand and so many players that, that we just need these number of clubs? Well, we, we do have, quite the player pool, right? We do have a, a draw. We have great athletes in Texas. I mean, in all sports, obviously look at the NFL, look at the NFL quarterbacks yeah. from the past. Look how many are from Texas. Think yeah. about it. Drew Brees. You can just go down the list. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball. True. I mean, just it's, we, we just produce kick booty athletes in Texas. We just do, but no, Matt, there's no way there's, it's too much of a, and I'm sorry, this is just being honest. It's too much of a money grab. They're not going to consolidate to make a, 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 you know, two clubs forming yeah. together to make a, a, a killer team. Yeah. No, they just all think, okay, I'm going to get those kids eventually. I'm just going to get those kids eventually. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. And it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's unique to soccer, by the way. Okay. So, I mean, okay. uh, I, there's a past episode that I'll plug here where um, uh, someone was talking about someone will pick up a, I think it was softball. They can, a team will just pick up in the middle of the season, move from club A to club B, like completely shift its affiliation. The, the coaches and the players just move over. And so, you know, because they get dissatisfied or whatever. So all that to say, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, some clubs are, stable and successful and sub clubs are more, you know, volatile and dynamic, but, but anyway, um, so the other thing you said, you said money grab and what I always, there's not really a money grab question, right. But I want to shift over a little bit to talk about um, from a club perspective. And again, part of this is to educate our listeners a little bit who are thinking about getting into club sports or, or club soccer specifically around, like camps and clinics, right? So there's a lot of benefit, at least in my experience, for my kiddos who participate in camps and clinics, like in the off season, right? There's downsides and, and, and sure. benefits. But 
Um, I mean, are there are with this many teams and I would therefore that many coaches, I mean, are there just as many camps and clinics that are in play and, you know, when's, when is soccer season, you know, when's tournament season, when's league season and when's camp and clinic season. Okay. So you have your fall and you have your spring. Um, And then the older you get, obviously the older you get, then your spring becomes very shortened because with the highest level being ECNL, it allows girls um, to play high school soccer. In the past, it, it, you couldn't do both. You, if you played in a certain league, you could not play high school soccer. I was blessed and got to play high school soccer when my teammates who went to public school could not, but I went to private school. So me and my two other teammates that went to the same school as myself, uh, we got to play high school and club, which um, 90% of my teammates could not do. Um, but they... You can do both now, and the boy, but on the boy side, I believe if you play in the MLS league, you cannot play high school soccer because those are kids that are geared to play professional. Okay, um, and so, um, so is the is the takeaway there that for soccer, select soccer and high school soccer are not complementary uh, or don't don't work well together you have to pick one or is it only these top top tier teams where it, there's a conflict boy that's that is such a double edged sword matt because i think that if i had a, a girl that was on an ecnl team and mm-hmm. was a high level playing soccer player like some mm-hmm. of the kids that i've coached i, I i'm torn because as a female, girls get their identity through sport, okay? So okay. if you're a basketball player, if you're a soccer player, you want that letter jacket. You want to play high school sports, so you have an identity within your high school. Guys, sure. guy football players, easy, right? Yeah, there's the football guys, right? Yep. Well, that's that's a way for girls to get seen and 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 appreciate it right well it's if if i know that my daughter is is a blue chip as you would call it i guess for football yep. right blue yep. chip player sure. and she's she's um being seen in id camps okay so you were talking about camps right yeah 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 so Back there's camp. you got your club camps and then you got the u.s national team knocking on your door saying hey we'd like to invite you to this id camp well <laughs> That is like every girl's ultimate dream to play for our women's national team, right? Sure. So if you get invited to an ID camp, you're going and buy high school soccer because that is better aspiration than playing high school soccer. So it, it's sad because you want them to have that identity, get the jacket, yet you also play high school soccer where you could be playing against a girl who's never walked and chew gummed and kicked a soccer ball before. Sure. And that girl takes you out and now you've torn your ACL and you're done for eight months. Yeah. So it's, you know what I mean? It's like, you want her to play. Yeah. But you don't want her to get hurt because it's stupid to play high school soccer in the scheme of things. If you're, your daughter is wanting to play professional or or have aspirations to that level. Okay. And there's only less than 10% usually of girls that literally make a professional team because boy side is easy, right? Especially on the FC Dallas, they, they have the path to get to that team to be on our men's first team at FC Dallas, right? Well, girls aspirations are basically to get to college. Their pinnacle is just to play college soccer. Okay. That's the pinnacle that less than 10% chance of them playing professional from there. But that seems pretty high though. I mean, there's a 10% 10 chance that of all these players, there's a place for them to go play professionally. Yeah. Here in the U S is that globally where, where do they go play? Well, that's, what's funny is the, um, just our women's professional league here in America, there was over 130 girls in the draft. I couldn't believe it when I heard that number. I said, that is amazing. 
that is 130 girls from North Texas. No, no, sir. No, sir. Just in the draft period in, oh, in, gotcha. in the United States, gotcha. which, is, which is still hugely high, right? Women, I mean, girls, girls finish college and they, they're like, no, nah, I'm done. Yep. I want to, I want to start a job. I want to start a family. I want to get married. You know, all that yep. comes into play and, sure. and you get that, that lower percentage that want to go play now opening now that the world is really embracing soccer and getting better and better and better. Mm -hmm. Americans are going overseas to play as well. Not just the U S yeah, everywhere. And it's, can they make a living doing it, Kat? They sure can, believe it or not, especially. Really? Uh, okay, good. Yes. With endorsement deals and, and stuff like that, they definitely can. Okay. That's really good news. I, I apologize. I, like I said, I don't have much exposure to, to, to soccer except, you know, our, uh, you know, FC Dallas pro team here in, 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 in town, but uh, so very interesting. And and I've learned something today, which is great. So, okay. So back to camps, you mentioned ID camps. Talk about that. What is that different than other kinds of camps, college but camps? What, what's the you, camp, camp? You have, okay. So you have youth camps, obviously I put on camps all summer long cat skills yep. for those later. Yep, uh, yep. <laughs> I, I, I make it super duper fun for the littles and, and make it very game oriented not regimented in select soccerish it's got to be fun when it's all said and done matt soccer is a game and games are meant to be fun not yeah not being um you know you don't the kids going looking back and going oh, i didn't like my soccer experience i want them to go look back and go oh i love soccer such a great game mm -hmm, for sure um but but the higher the level you go the more camps you can have. And it's not necessarily camps put on by the club. It's those college ID camps that, because like I said, I would say 90% of the aspirations of girls playing club soccer is to get a college scholarship. Okay. And so they will go to ID camps, college ID camps put on by several college coaches, not just one, like not at SMU. It would be an SMU, an OU, an OSU, um, Tulsa, whatever, right? They would they would have several coaches. And it's a way for those college coaches to put on a quote-unquote camp and check out future players that they can recruit and add to their class recruiting. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so... The, just I want to clarify here something for a second about the camp. So ID camp sounds like you can have like a pro ID camp and a college ID camp. So do these colleges, and I, I don't know why um, I always think of like the ACC schools, like Virginia, North Carolina, North Carolina State, right? So let's say that uh, the University of Virginia wants to, uh, they're trying to recruit players. Do they put on an ID camp and they Absolutely. come to Dallas and they is that how that works? Or do players yes. go to Charlottesville, they, Virginia? Yeah, they go there. And actually, I've got an ex-player of mine that's already committed to Virginia. I've got another player of mine. The, and this girl and both these girls are in Guatemala right now playing on our U-17 national team. And one's committed to Virginia, one's committed to UNC. Um, and ex-players of mine. So um, I couldn't be more ecstatic of helping those girls walk down, you know, lead them down that path to where they're at. But yes, there's ID camps for college and there's both these girls. I'm, I, I think one of them has been seen, <clears throat> but the one that's really close to me and I'm going to go watch her play next month mm -hmm. in Mexico. Uh, she has gone out to several professional training sessions in Luke, you know, and even though she's going to college, they've, I deed her and want her to go train with the professionals gotcha. at 16. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. All right. So, but again, we're talking about 10% of the total number of kids that flow through select soccer in North Texas. Well, which I mean, it's, it's a big number in my opinion, but yeah. Okay. I would say 10% of all, of America, not 10% of North Texas per se. Okay. 
10% in the U.S. would go okay. on to play professional. Because, I mean, think about that. If it's higher than that, there's only 12 or 13 professional teams in um, in the U.S. Yeah. They're building, they're adding, but it's, 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 you know, like I said, it's not as high yet on the girl side because um, there's the low number of professional teams per se. And, um, and like I said, they, not all of them want to go pro. They want to become moms. They want to start a oh, for new sure. job and all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So. That means kids are developing and are progressing through the the programs up through the the different levels you talked about and all that, which is fantastic. I, I'm 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 pretty excited to hear those those numbers. So let's let's put your coaching hat on here for a second, and let's in your opinion and experience, right? What I mean, what what are the attributes you look for? And it sounds like you coach maybe some of the younger girls. Like, what are some of the attributes you're looking for at the, at the different age here? So like, what are the big, let me ask you this first. What are the big like cutoff points for, for, um, for girls in soccer, right? And boys, my experience, it was, you know, when they turned like 13, 14, they kind of started to think about girls and then 16 when they got their driver's license, right? Those well, are kind of the big drop-off points. What I have not uh, coached above you 12, basically in my I've coached for 38 years. Okay. And I've only coached, I mean, you know, unfortunately I haven't been given the opportunity to coach at, at the higher level because I've been told I'm great at what I do in developing the littles, the babies to make them those awesome okay. players in the future. So, okay. So let's focus on that then. So like at these younger ages, that's gotta be pretty tough, but like, what, how do you, you kind of go, man? Yep. That girl's got it. Yep. She could. Nope. Nope. Just the kid that, I, that I'm going to go watch but not gonna make it. I yeah. knew at three at three years old of how'd my you know? experience because she just had it. She just got the ball and just would dice through the whole entire team and go score a goal. Didn't didn't care who was in her way, didn't care what she had to do to get that ball around and go score. She did. And several professional teams. And this girl will be on our women's national team in the next two years. I'm proud. Okay. So skills, like her yes. Her actual yeah. soccer so what, skills. What I look for in a higher level youth player, mm -hmm. because I do tend to get the higher echelon kids yep. uh, or they want me to take on the higher echelon kids and mm -hmm. teach them so they can mold them and bring them into the higher levels of my club. Mm -hmm. I will look for athletic, aggressive, and competitive. Okay. Those are your big three. Okay. Okay. If you know, Sally is picking daisies. She's not going to make my team. She's okay. going to go and, but, but she's not going to be also dismissed. She's also going to be put to a team of her level. Yeah. The kids that I coach are those monsters that just, you cannot, you, you either are competitive in your nature or you're not, you're either aggressive in your nature or you're not. You can only improve those minimally in you you can tell you got to be more aggressive. You got to you got to compete. Come on, it's just not ingrained in in some girls. Yeah, yeah, just for not. sure. And I think that's with any kid, right? I mean, some some kids are that that that's that's a fact, right? But back to kind of what what you said earlier. There's a spot for them where they sure. can play soccer, enjoy the sure. game, learn the game, be a part of a team, yes. and play. Yes, I coach a team of, of under 11 girls that are pretty much right out of recreational soccer, and they're playing club soccer for me right now. Okay. And they've been under my belt for six months, and I'm telling you, they have gone from zero to 50, and that I am so proud of them. They've embraced it. They've um, They encourage each other. They're 
They know that it's not about winning, winning, winning. They just want to get better. And the parents are the same. They just want to see their kids get better. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it took a minute for me to understand and really to, since I've been coaching at a higher level for so many years and to be handed a team like them in, in several last few, five years, I've been given these lower end teams. I'm telling you, Matt, it's made my life easy because I can improve any kid in my sleep with skills and the the tactics of the game of soccer. Yeah. That's, that's no big deal. But there's no pressure on me to with the higher level teams as a high level coach. You have to win to win. Yeah, you have to win. It's all about the W. It's not about the development per se. I mean. You know what I mean? It's gotta yeah. be, it's, it's win or nothing. And then parents are discouraged. And if they're not happy with you, bye, see ya. I'm going somewhere else. They don't understand that it takes a minute to develop. Right. But yeah. these kids that I don't have to worry about that. It's, it's refreshing to coach. It's so refreshing because they just want to get better. There's yeah. no aspirations of being on the national team with these girls. They just want to have fun and get better. Yeah. It, I mean, I think I could spend an entire episode. And I probably have alluded to this before in past episodes, right. Around parents recognizing, and I did, and I learned this late. I'm not saying I, I was not this way at all, but in retrospect and in, in, in hindsight, hindsight being 2020, right. Finding a spot where your child can play is so key. Right. It builds their confidence. It gives them more touches. It gives them more game experience. It, it, they're, they're generally happier, things like that. It's parents who, this is my opinion, parents who want to be on the top team and they mm. know that their kid won't play very much because to your point at those top level teams, it's about winning. You play to win, which means playing time is not equal. Correct. Right. So I think that is such a uh, takeaway and people, you know, I got a, I had a buddy of mine call me uh, not too long ago and we went to college together and he's got some, some kids that are um, still in high school and starting to play at the, in these top clubs. And he called me, he's like, I cannot believe I'm spending this much money. She's not playing. This is just crazy. What am I doing? What, you know, what do you, what do you think? And I was like, why, why'd you go there? He's like, well, we want to be on the top club and the top team. So all that to say, if for, for our listeners, if, if you're getting into club sports, regardless of the sport, right? And especially if you're younger, right? Find a spot where you're playing. You're playing key minutes. You're playing a key role. You're getting touches. And, you know, the, the, the rest will work out. Because Matt, you just said it, playing, right? So- if I want to go, if these parents just can't get out of their kids' way, right? They can't get out of the way because they live vicariously through their child. Oh, 100%. And they want to be on the top team. Oh, oh, my kid's only going to play six minutes a half. Okay, that's fine. We're, we got the trophy today, though. We got the trophy. Yeah. Yeah. How much did your kid play in that trophy winning yeah. game? Uh, zero. Yeah. Okay. So is it, and, 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 what does that teach your child that it's about winning or is it about development? So that's parents. Yeah. When they're going, look, if your kid is not a top prodigy kind of player and don't get me wrong, parents out there, your kid can be an average player at seven, eight, nine, and they don't even come into their own till 13, 14. For sure. Mia Hamm did not play high-level soccer till she was 13, 14, okay? She didn't play youth soccer before that. Did she play multiple sports real quick? Because I'm going to ask yeah. about this later. I think your she opinion did. On I believe sports. she did. She just was okay. an all-around good athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, back to, I mean, parents are listening, right? And it's tough. I struggled with it, I admit find a spot for them 
to to play where they're playing game experience right that is huge especially like we talked about when when they're younger because the same the person the the kid who's a stud at seven is not going to be a stud at 12 the kid who's a stud at 12 is not you know may not be a stud at 17 the kid who's you know struggling through you know sevens to 12 all of a sudden at 14s they wake up and they get it their body's mature and right they get on a team with the right kids and the right coach and a little bit of luck and all, and all it'll come together. That's what I think. So, okay. So kind of, we've, we've kind of talked about the different, the kind of landscape of the different levels of soccer and the quantity of players and, and all that. And we've talked about, um, you know, uh, the, the, the camps and stuff like that. So, can you, I know you coach the the younger ones and maybe you kind of relate to your experience or have some exposure because I get a lot of questions about college recruiting. Can, do you have any insight into how current day college recruiting is it strictly these ID camps? Like what, what can, what people who are like, yeah, I think my kid's going to play some level of college D1, D3, whatever. Right. What's it like? Are kids committing at 14 like they do in volleyball and hockey or 16, not as much, 17? Not as much now because colleges have obviously their, their like, okay, we got the 26s taken care of. We got the 27s. We're looking, you know, they're, they, you can obviously go after kids. Uh, they're the end of their sophomore year, I believe. I, what, I, I might be mistaken, but they, typically go these college coaches go to ECNL events and high level events. There's um, high level tournaments that aren't ECNL type players for D2, D3. Right. And then go recruit from, from that. Um, but it, it's, I, yes, it is definitely ID camps. Kids are recognized. Kids are definitely um, I'm sure these college coaches aren't dumb, right? I mean, for uh-huh. example, Nicole at SMU, smart, smart of the whip. She knows all the top kids in North Texas because, I mean, how dumb are you if you're not, right? If you don't know in your own backyard who's got the top kids and where they're going and wh- who's who's being recruited here and mm-hmm. there, then they're not doing their job, right? So. They do their own ID camps. They do. They go and watch ECNL events. And when colleges can reach out to these parents, they're all over. Kids can reach out to colleges to a certain extent after a yeah. certain. I can't remember if it's sophomore, junior. Yeah, it's it, it changes it's like June fifteenth. Uh, I know for volleyball and I think for maybe hockey, it's like June fifteenth of their after their sophomore year of high school. So the summer between sophomore and junior or something like that. So there's a, it sounds like there's a date or some, some point where colleges can like contact the players and that happens, I assume. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, they, they know they recognize and they go to tournaments and they, they try to recruit out of their own backyard, but then, you know, then you got people from other countries that they recruit. It's crazy how much. What do you mean? Oh, there's. If you look at a roster for any of the top ten. Oh, the colleges are recruiting internationally. Yes, let's look at yeah. Look at Florida, the team that Florida, um, Florida State. They just won uh, uh, the championship over Stanford, right? Okay. You look at that roster. There's going to be three or four international players on that roster. Yeah. It's insane. Volleyball is like that. Yeah. yeah. And some coaches that have are are are, are uh, they want X percent or they want a predominant a majority of international players who they're from that country and they know where the talent is and they can find these, you know, super studs and get them over. And all of a sudden you'll look at, you know, like Georgia Tech and volleyball, right? They've got a just a strong program and they've got a pretty good chunk of international players. South America, you know, Brazil or in Europe or something like that. So anyway, but I'm UT sure it, doesn't. UT is really all pretty much homegrown girls. I looked at the roster when I watched them play. Yeah, national championship. I was like, there you go, girls. They're all Texans. I was so impressed. Not all of them, but you know what I mean. That warms my heart. Yeah, right. <laughs> As a Me Texas too. kid. So yeah, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. 
And that's great. I mean, it's so it's what I I love those stories where the the local kids are playing nearby their home stakes. I know as a parent, that's just that's so awesome when you can go watch your kid. You don't have to, you know, get on a plane to you know you know wherever and if they're 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 close. But anyway, um, all right. So college recruiting sounds pretty similar to the the, the other sports and. I just with the, the the quantity of players coming out of here, I can imagine there's got to be other big events in Texas where college coaches are coming. Are there big tournaments here where college coaches come? Is there one or two uh, big? There's it's are they all they're over? Called, they're called showcases. Okay, so you go to different places and, and and have showcases, but I mean for the girl side, the ECNL events. They those college coaches know, okay, well, if they're on an ECNL team in an ECNL program, they will play in events, tournaments, um, even just during the league, right? During travel, where teams will travel, they'll go watch games there. And then the ECNL tournament to be the best in the country, you know, they're well, I, I just read one of my ex-players, her mom post on Facebook. She was like, there's 61 college coaches at our game this weekend. And so, wow, okay. Yeah. And they were in Florida playing. Um, I'm not sure if it was league games or if they were in a tournament. Um, regardless, that's a lot of coaches in the offseason, of course, for these college coaches to go watch these sophomore juniors and seniors play. So interesting. Interesting. Um, Okay. So one of the, the, the things I wanted to talk about here as we kind of get to, um, and again, thanks for being so great with your time here, but what I want to do is kind of leverage your experience of of coaching these, the, the younger girls, like you refer to them as littles, right? So for, for our parents out there again, who are either just now getting into club soccer at, at that age it's club soccer right or academy those different terms right, right. like if you were going to advise parents on like what to look for in a club or what you know if you could say you know what are red flags they have to about going to this club and you know can we how, how would you kind of educate parents who are wanting to put their kid into a club like what do they need to talk to the coaches should they be you know really vetting these coaches and these programs and asking around like how how would how how can we help folks out in in this situation? Well, I mean, I'm hoping that, as I did for my own daughter, any any extracurricular activity that you put your child in, I mean, I'm definitely going to vet an adult sure. that is mess that is you know, teaching my child. Period. But what should they be asking? Well, I mean, the good thing is I know for a fact that FC Dallas, they do background checks on all their coaches and, and managers and stuff. So that's a good thing. Yeah, right <laughs> I and would I, hope so. I, but I honestly, honestly, Matt, though, I do not think any other clubs do that. 100% I could probably guarantee really? you that FC Dallas is the only club that vets coaches. I I might be misspeaking here, but I've coached for Sting. I've coached okay. for Solar. I've coached for, for FC Dallas. The only two big threes I haven't coached for is um, Defeaters and and Texans. And I know you know the big three. Only one vets the coaches. Like background so, checks, see if they've yeah, got any type like of legit questionable background checks, like legit. And these guys are coaching girls under the age of 10. Correct. Interesting. Correct. Yes. Interesting. I, I, okay. I, you, that would be a number one question if you're going to go look. Um, because, I mean, I know I know some clubs, I'm not going to say the name. Sure. They just hire dads to coach. Dads. Not, not qualified coaches. Dads to coach. And their kids on the team? Well, of course, kid gets to play for free for dad. Um, I would totally just check out a practice, see if your kid had a good time. You know, I'm talking littles, right? Yeah. You know, see if, um, watch the coach. How is she, how is he or she with 
the kids in general? How is mm -hmm. he or she with your child in general? Um, I, here's the here's the double-edged sword too, Matt. If if you don't have any kind of background of soccer and have any clue about soccer, how do you know? Yeah, what to look for? So it's 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 crazy. It you know if you know what you're doing if if you played even recreational soccer, you know. Bottom line is, is the kid gonna learn something? And is she having fun? That's yeah. that's my motto when I coach is like, is my kid, is a kid on my team learning the game and having fun? When it's all said and done, I want her to have fun. Now, obviously, the higher the level of the team, the harder it is for the, the coach to make it fun. Yeah. Because their job and the parents in this community – put all the stress on the W and not the development. Yeah. And that's the hardship of, of coaching's club soccer. It really is. Yeah. And it's, I, it's, it's, I don't think that's unique to, to, uh, to soccer because I, cause I've been there. Right. And I've been around, right. I've been that parent, I've been around those parents and all that. So, um, but I cannot stress enough. This is just, you know, a, a parent talking here, right? Find that spot where your kid is playing and developing and loves the game, right? Because I think the sweet spot is when they're you're having fun and not I'm talking about fun in practice. I mean, you know, there's a there's there's a difference between you know screwing around and having fun. Right. right? So they're having fun, they're engaged in practice, mm -hmm. they're getting game time. I'm going to see if you agree with these. You're getting game time and, you know, uh, you know, in critical situations or the last minutes of the game, those kind of things. Right. And then also when you travel, right. Once you get to that point where you're traveling a little bit, you know, I've been in situations and on teams where the kids were miserable because they were locked in hotel rooms, you know, don't come outside and there's no swimming and there's no, you know, why are you eating that? It was just this crazy stuff. I'm like, this is not fun. They don't want to be here. They want to be, all they can think about now is what a drag this is. And they'd rather be back home in the summer or the spring, you know, hanging out with their buddies and, and their friends. Right. But, but if it's fun and you're playing and you're competing and you're getting better, that's the real sweet spot where you start to develop and progress. That's my, that's agreed. My I, I agree with you. Yeah. So um, for the parents again out there listening, you know, think think about all that. Um, well, hey, Kat, listen, you've been just so gracious with your time. Um, obviously, we could keep going, you know, all all day on this stuff. But uh, thanks so much for for taking the time out to share your insights and uh, all your experiences. And um, sounds like you got a couple years left, maybe, and you're gonna hang up your cleats, literally. Yes, sir. And I've traveled with my husband who's been retired for a couple of years. My daughter will be out of high school and it's all she wrote, buddy. I'll, Empty I'll, nest. I'll still be around soccer. I'll just not coach club soccer. I'll just do privates, do club uh, group training and camps. I'll, I'll always do my cat skills camps because yeah. they're fun. And, and, but, but I am going to travel this crazy world of ours and, and uh, go watch some soccer all over all over uh, the world and and have fun. So you think it, you, soccer will be in your life forever? Oh, for sure, for sure. No, no, yeah, it, you've been. It, it can't not. It's a part it's of right, you. It's in my blood. Yes. Good for you. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, listen, Kat. Thanks again. Um, officially say welcome to the club. Thanks for taking the time. Mm -hmm. And um, as I always say. Uh, we have a great show like this is uh, reserve the right to, to ask you to come back and hopefully you would uh, agree to come back at some point. That would be great. I think it's a great thing you're doing, Matt. I love the whole premise of your, of your podcast. And I'm so appreciative that I get to be a part of this and um, share any kind of insight that I have. Well, I, thanks so much, Kat. That, that means a lot coming from you. Uh, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Sounds great. Take care. All righty. Thanks.
Really enjoyed having Kat on today. Um, having a guest come on who has spent 38 years in their respective sport is just fantastic, right? A lot of credibility, a lot of solid information and experience to share. So again, I just have enjoyed having Kat on today. The stuff she shared about the local DFW scene and all the total number of clubs and, and how many there are. And, you know, if you thought about how how dominant would a, a Texas team be or a DFW team be if there was some consolidation in clubs. But again, you know, it's a business. Let's be honest here. The club sports are a business and they're a successful business. Um, they play an important role and they are key in, in helping your your kid move on to the next level. I firmly believe that. So, but it is a it's a business and there's some element of money grab to it. So that's what keeps those clubs um, from you know from from uh, consolidating. And then you know if there's a theme that we're starting to see across the these episodes and these sports, right? Is and again, if you're uh, a, a parent who's newer to the club sport, whatever your whatever your sport is, whatever sport your your kid is playing, find the spot where you're playing, getting touches, getting that game experience, and having fun. And I think those kind of go hand in hand. If you're on the field, on the ice, on the floor, on the court, on the pitch, whatever, if you're out there and you're getting touches and you're playing that those key roles, doesn't matter what level, does not matter what level then you're going to have fun and you're going to develop. So that's the sweet spot. Find the place where you're going to play. So anyway, as always, thanks a ton for tuning in and and listening to Kat and being a part of of this podcast. Uh, Super excited to, to have everybody who's tuning in out there. Thank you. Hopefully you're getting something out of it. And again, as I always like to say, welcome to the club.